Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in the book of Galatians this morning, chapter 5, message number 19 as we're going through this book, and we come to the third part of the book, third part of three sections, beginning in chapter 5 and including chapter 6. That's why you see the word therefore here as we begin our text in 5, and we read Chapter 5, 1 through 4, as you see on the outline in front of you, we'll find out in these two last chapters of the book that there's a lot of application to us as believers. You'll see the word brethren often in these last two chapters. We'll talk about uh, a brother overtaken in a fault in chapter 6. We'll talk about reaping and sowing in chapter 6, so a lot of of uh, important and good passages coming up. Let me remind you of the setting here a little bit because I think it will help in these first four verses of chapter 5 that Paul wrote, or Paul went on his first missionary journey. We have recorded in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And that first missionary journey was to Galatia. And this book is written to the Galatians. And so what he experienced there up in Galatia in that first missionary journey is important to what's happening here. Well, he, he ran into difficulty there. And the difficulty came from the Jewish people themselves that had been scattered in the northern regions. Because Paul was teaching that salvation does not come by keeping the law of Moses, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And that was new to the ears of the Jewish people. They had uh, the law. It was God's law. It was, it, it's part of our Bible, too. And they, they had that and weren't quite sure what Paul was saying. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that they actually stoned Paul to leave him for dead. But he didn't die, of course. He, he uh, lived and he came back. Well, then right after that, uh, there were Jewish teachers from Jerusalem who went up the coast to Antioch and were teaching the church at Antioch that you've got to keep the law to be saved. Well, Paul was there and Barnabas was there. And so Paul and Barnabas and Titus also included went down to Jerusalem, met in what we call the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, and they made it plain. Uh, Peter was there, James was there, Paul and Barnabas and so forth. And they said, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. Now, you can do these things to help your testimony if you want, but it isn't a matter of salvation. And so uh, that all went on. Well, right after that Jerusalem council, the first two books of the New Testament were written. One of them is the book of James. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem there, and he wrote and, and included this controversy in his book. And then the second book was Paul writing this book of Galatians to say, you don't have to keep the law uh, to be saved. And so that's kind of the background of what happened here. Now, we have had this problem all throughout church history. I'm not talking about just the Jewish problem, but the problem of thinking that we have to do something to be saved. And so working for salvation uh, as opposed to the grace of God just brings us the two ways that people are trying to get to heaven. One is trying to do it yourself, trying to work 
in whatever way, a religious way, a philosophical way, a moral way, whatever, to get to heaven. The other is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior because of what he has done for you. So whether it was back to the old Gnosticism in the, in the first century, relying on man's knowledge, the Catholicism that came after the first few centuries of relying on man's sacraments, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, man's goodness of the human soul, uh, you have the cults, you have to be a part of their membership, modernism and liberalism and the humanism that came without all of these works for salvation as opposed to accepting Christ as Savior. It boils down to just that one issue. Can you be saved and go to heaven by what Jesus Christ did for you rather than what you can do for yourself? It boils down to that. So as we come to this passage, I divided these thoughts up into the four thoughts of these four verses, but I titled it Standing or Falling because in verse 1, it starts off with saying, Stand fast in this liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Or in verse 4, right at the end of verse 4, because if you don't, you have fallen from grace. And we're going to look at those two opposite things this morning uh, in this passage. So again, you have the outline uh, in your bulletin or on the screen if you'll follow along. First of all, in verse 1, standing fast. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Let me take these statements as they come. Notice that I have liberty in Christ first, standing fast second. You look at your verse and say, wait a minute, that's backwards, isn't it? It's really not, because in the language that Paul was writing in, the word liberty comes, is the first word in the verse. Now, they could do that in their language. It's called the emphatic order. Uh, if they wanted to emphasize a word, they put it first in the sentence. In our English language, we have to have word order, so we have to do it the other way. But the first word in our passage here is liberty. <laughs> liberty. That's what he's saying here. And, and uh, what is this liberty? What is this freedom that we have? It's from yourself. Liberty from your effort to try to get yourself saved. Liberty from trying to keep the law. Liberty from trying to, to keep all the religious things that it takes to, to get into heaven. And notice this, this uh, liberty is by which Christ has made us free. Liberty is in Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about. That's the whole problem, the, the Galatian problem and the Jerusalem problem. Uh, is it through Christ or is it through yourself? Now, here's something interesting. The word liberty and the word free are the same word. In, in Greek, uh, it's the same word, but uh, we translate it, you know, the noun, liberty, and the verb made us free. But look at the last word of chapter 4. What is the last word in chapter 4? Free, same word. <laughs> he is emphasizing this idea, isn't he? We are free from trying to do it ourselves. We are free from trying to keep the law to be saved. We have liberty. You know, our Declaration of Independence that we have in this country said we're free from the King of England. We're free from uh, that oppression. Uh, we have liberty here, the Declaration of Independence. Well, Paul's just kind of 
saying, here's our declaration of independence. I think I've said before in Paul's writings, Galatians is the declaration of independence and Romans is the constitution. <laughs> this, is, this is what he's done for us. And so we're free, he says, we have liberty from the law. Then we have the word standing fast, which comes in his language right after that. That's the imperative. That's the command that he gives us. You have liberty, you have freedom, well then stand in it. And don't fall to other things. Stand fast in this liberty. I think in the, in the New Testament, the most common word to describe the Christian life is the word walk. But Next to that is the word stand. It appears a lot in the New Testament. Uh, Luther said, uh, I was reading his commentary on this, was his famous commentary. He said, we don't lie down, we don't sit down. <laughs> we stand. And so let me, let me read you just a few of such verses that we have in our New Testament. Romans 5.2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Ephesians 6, 13. Remember the armor of God? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my beloved, uh, long for and brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. First Thessalonians 3.8, by now, uh, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And one more Peter says, 1 Peter 5.12, where he says, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. How many times in the Bible we're told that we need to stand? So what, what would standing mean? We just stand up, <laughs> you know, just be on your feet all the time. What does it mean when he says, take a stand, stand uh, for the faith? I, I like what Proverbs 23.23 says, one of my favorite Proverbs. 23.23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. B-U-Y, buy the truth. Give everything you have for truth. Buy it with everything that, that you own. And once you have it, don't give it up for anything. I think that's what standing for uh, liberty, standing for truth means. You make sure you have it, stand there, and never give it up. I uh, refer to Martin Luther. Well, you know, he has a famous statement about standing. I, I want to read it to you. This goes way back to, first of all, in 1517, he went to uh, the Wittenberg church door and he nailed his 95 thesis on there. And basically, if you summarize these 95 statements that he made is, you don't need the church to be saved. All you need is the grace of God. Well, four years later, he was called before the council to answer for that at worms. They call it the diet of worms. And I thought to myself when I first saw that, you know, I've been on a lot of diets, but I'm not sure I, I like the diet of worms, but that means at the place it was. And so he was called in question for those 95 theses, and he had to give an answer, and he, he was in trouble if he didn't. 
they, they could put him to death, though it didn't happen at that time. Uh, still, he was called in question. Let me read you the last short paragraph to a long uh, answer that he gave there, and we still have that. He said, if then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. And then he says, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me. That's kind of what Paul is saying here, isn't it? And he was stoned and left for dead for it. This is what God says, and I can't change it, and I won't change it. It's what my conscience is. Let me ask you this, Christian. Do you have a thesis like that? Do you have a 95 thesis that you would say, here I stand, I will not give this up? And I hope, of all the things you may have, the first and foremost is, this is the way to heaven. This is what salvation is, and that is what I believed in, and no one in this world or in the history of this world is going to change that. This is what I believe God's Word says. Now, we have this liberty in Christ, and we're supposed to stand fast in it and not be entangled in a yoke of bondage. Robert Gromacki, in his commentary, said something I thought was interesting. He said, the oppressed of one revolution often became the oppressors of the next. Those who had been oppressed often become the ones who do the oppressing in the next. I thought to myself, yeah, and there are those who claim to have been oppressed and the very ones today who are oppressing everybody. But these Jewish people had been oppressed. And the Romans had come down and scattered them. They ran them all out of Rome and said, you can't live here anymore. Uh, you've got to claim that Caesar is God, which they didn't want to do. And so they had been oppressed. But now in Galatia, what are they doing? They're oppressing somebody else. They're oppressing these Christians for saying that you only need Christ and you don't have to keep the law to be saved. So Paul says again, don't be entangled. That word means trapped. It's a, it's a trap. It's like trapping an animal in a, in, in a cage or a trap. Remember that, that uh, uh, Peter, in that Jerusalem council, Acts 15, verse 10, said, Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why are you setting this trap for us? this trap that no one can keep. How would we describe that trap? What, what is that trap, uh, that entanglement uh, that happens because of it? I, I thought about this and I answered it this way. Taking Scripture out of context. Now let me explain that. Taking Scripture out of context. What had the Judaizers done? They had come to Scripture with a preconceived, predetermined meaning. No, you have to keep the law to be saved. And we're going to go to the Scripture to find out uh, and prove that that's true. And so what happened is they came up with a falsehood. They had, not, they had rejected the new revelation from God, and that is in Jesus Christ himself and now in the New Testament. 
And many people do that who want to work for their salvation. They have a preconceived conclusion. They go to the Scripture. They take the Scripture the way they want to take it or out of context, and then they've proved their point. We have to be careful not to do that. Without transgressing too much, let me give you what I think is the, one of the largest examples in our lifetime today, and that's with the, with the thing of homosexuality. It is obvious that the Bible teaches against homosexuality, but there are those who even claim the name of Christ who, who want to prove from the Bible that that's okay. They have made up their mind before they ever started that we're going to prove that it's okay, and they've gone to the Bible to find the verses they need that say that. That happens all the time with all kinds of doctrines. But when it happens with a moral issue like that, it is really a dangerous thing. Somebody said, well, what about, what about the trans problem, you know, the transgender problem? Well, I don't think they care about the Bible when, <laughs> when it comes to that doctrine. As a matter of fact, they, they have a book that they appeal to, and I think the book is The Moon is Made of Green Cheese. And, and so somewhere in that book, they find the, the proof for transgenderism, something, I don't know. So I didn't want to get too far off the point here, but I'm illustrating the point. Here's what was happening. These Jews had made up their mind, you must keep the law to be saved, and they have gone to their Old Testament verses to find things that seem to say that, and they were willing to persecute people because of it. Paul calls it a yoke. He calls it a trap. He says, don't fall to, for this falsehood. And so, stand fast is verse 1. Verse 2, becoming profitless. So it says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you, to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The first thing that stands out in this verse, of course, is Paul's authority. And he says here very clearly, I, Paul. Now, you have to understand the way this would come across to the Galatian believers. Paul was an apostle. And they had, had accepted him uh, like that. They knew he was an apostle. He was their spiritual father. He had preached the gospel to them. He had led them to Christ. And so when he says, I, Paul, am saying this, uh, they, they knew what that meant. Go back to, go back to chapter 1 uh, just real quickly and look at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. I marvel, he said that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice, but even if we, as a matter of fact, an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Notice, what I have preached and what we have preached as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's pretty obvious that he knew the authority he had from Christ, and they knew it too. So he says, I, Paul. Now, you and I today don't have apostles. We don't have someone who, who has a direct avenue to God's mind. But what we do have is God's word. As Luther had said, that's where we stand. And we have to say, this is what Scripture says about salvation. This is where we stand. I hope, again, that your uh, I uh, stand here speech. I hope you have such a speech. 
So Paul's authority here, and then the, the, the subject of circumcision comes up again. Look at chapter 5, verse 6, not too far to your left there. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, if you're circumcised, it doesn't help you be saved. If you're not circumcised, it doesn't keep you from being saved. It doesn't avail anything. What does is faith working through love. So this subject has been here in the book all along, but he, of course, brings it up because they've brought it up. They've made it a point. You better be or you're not going to be saved. The shame is that if you go back to Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to, out of your seed is going to come Christ, and he's going to bless the whole world, and then I'm going to bring a kingdom out of, out of this family that you're the father of. And so what was a symbol, that is, a symbol of that was circumcision. A, a reminder of that Abrahamic covenant had now become the means to an end. Rather than being just a reminder uh, of what the Abrahamic covenant said, and by the way, what, did he, what happened to Abraham? He believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. It was saved by faith. And here's the reminder of it. But now they had taken what should have been a reminder and they made it the means to an end. So circumcision had, even at that time, was completely a cultural thing. You can do it or not do it. Now, if you were a Jewish person, uh, they did, and, and under the old economy, it was commanded to them. But that economy is done. They don't have to do it. Even in Paul's day, we see Titus on the one hand, Timothy on the other hand. Titus went to that Jerusalem council in chapter 15 as a Gentile boy, was not circumcised, and never was. Because if he had given in to that, he would have proved their point rather than Paul's. But Timothy is circumcised. Why? Because as a half-Jew, half-Gentile boy, it's better for his testimony as he travels with Paul. So if it, if it good and a good thing to do for you, do it. If it's not, don't do it. And so that's the way the law was at this time. Same with Sabbath keeping and same with other things like that. Uh, fine to do it if you want to do it. You don't have to if you don't want to do it. So he, he brings this up again because it's the, perfect, it's, it's the perfect subject to illustrate what he's talking about. Notice lastly in verse 2, because if you do this, you start down this road, then Christ will profit you nothing. Now they make it a doctrinal issue, see. Now they have said, well, you have to. You can't be saved unless you do. And not just, not just circumcision, but keeping the whole law. You have to do it uh, or you won't. Well, now, that, now they've made it the issue. Now they've kind of drawn the, the line in the sand. And, and the, the striking thing about it is Paul is preaching that Christ has paid everything that needs to be paid. If we know what he did for us, he came from heaven, lived the perfect sinless life. He kept the law in every point, never transgressed it in any point, and then offered himself as a sacrifice for all of us. And it's through him that we can be saved. Christ paid and now they are saying, well, that's fine, but I want to add to it. I want to pay a little bit too. 
And basically what Paul is saying is, well, if you want to try to pay, Christ is going to withdraw his payment. Because that's not the deal. You don't say partly you and partly me. It's either all of Christ or none of his. And that's why this, this word paid or profit uh, is so appropriate here. He paid the price, but if you want to try to pay it, then he withdraws his offer of payment because it's not going to apply to you. It has to be by faith or not at all. Now, let me make two points here about that. There were unbelievers listening to him, obviously. So not just the brethren, but anyone who's going to read this letter up in Galatia. And there are a lot of lost people, some of them Jews, some of them Gentiles. But to the unbeliever, what he's saying is, this is a matter of your justification. You'll see that word in verse 4, justification. This is a matter of how you get saved. And if you are saying you get saved this way, you're wrong. And Christ is not going to profit you if that's what you do. To the Christian reader and to the Christian who is reading this, it becomes a matter of what we call sanctification. Oh, you have to do this in order to be right with God? You have to keep the whole law? And all that does for a believer is add confusion. At the least, it is, it is uh, immaturity, and at the most, it becomes heresy to say you have to do this. It just brings doubt to your salvation. You're not sure what you're supposed to be doing for your salvation. So to the believer, it was one thing. To the unbeliever, it was a totally different thing. But Christ can become of no profit. And we'll see that in verse 4 as we end. So verse 3, being a debtor then. So verse 3 says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, that he is then a debtor to keep the whole law. Oh, you want to do that? Okay. You have a big debt on your hand. Now notice I say every man first because he's talking to someone specific here. And so everyone who wants to start down this road, so to speak, this is kind of like, if you, if you can see chapter 4 and verse 21, it's very similar to what he said there. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. Remember that expression? You who desire to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? Don't you understand what the law is saying? We were at that place once. So here he's just saying, so every one of you who wants to start down this road of keeping the law, uh, here it is. I think Paul is saying, you know, every person, you, you and me also, every person who comes to the decision time of accepting Christ as Savior, you were at that decision point once. When you come to this point in your life, there's a crossroads. And one road is, I can do it myself, or at least I can participate in this in a necessary way. The other road is, it's only by Christ, by Christ alone, by faith alone, in him alone. Which way are you going to go? And at that point of accepting Christ, then you got to go one way or the other. And a lost person may come to a junction in the road like that several times in his or her life, but there's only two ways to go. But once you decide it is Christ only, I will accept him as my Savior, you became a believer in Christ, and you did not go that other way. But what if you do go that way? 
What if you say, no, I've got to keep the law, or I've got to do things myself also? Okay, you just made a big deal with yourself. That's the deal. And so now you, and you alone, have to keep the whole law. Oh, I just want to keep part of it. No, no, you've got to do it all. You've got to keep, because Christ is withdrawing his, his benefit from you. Now you have to do it. So that's why he says he's debtor to do the whole law. You just went in debt to yourself. You remember James 2.10, don't you? James, writing at this same time about this same subject, says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Boy, that sounds pretty rough, yeah, but that's the deal you made with yourself. Christ isn't going to profit you. You've got to do it. <laughs> and yet, folks, what did we just learn in this book that the purpose of the law is? Remember the word schoolmaster back in chapter 4? The law is a schoolmaster. Okay, what did the law teach? What did that schoolmaster teach you? It taught you that you can't do it. The, the schoolmaster, the law itself, the whole purpose for the law is to teach you you can't work for your salvation. There's just no one who's ever done it. You can't do it. James says, because if you stumble in one point, you've lost it all. And there's none that have sinned, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the purpose of the law is you can't. Look at chapter 3 and verse 10 of our book, Galatians. Chapter, chapter 3 and verse 10 again says very much the same thing. As many as are of the works of the law are under, what is that word? The curse. Remember that? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not what? Continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. <laughs> you've not only entered into a deal with yourself, you've entered into a curse because you can't do it. That's the curse of the law. You have to keep it all. You can't go any other way. In Romans chapter 2, there's a whole paragraph from 17 to 25, but let me just read those two verses. Romans 2.17 says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. I'll skip down to verse 25. Circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. You break it at one point and it's all done. You're back to, step, to, to uh, step zero. I thought John MacArthur said it in a great way in his commentary. He said it this way. Even if a person were somehow able to keep all the law for all of his life, if he broke a commandment during the last minute on earth, he would forfeit salvation and spend eternity in hell. Isn't that exactly what the Bible's saying? That's right. Because what did James say? You break it at one point, you're guilty of it all. It's a pretty strong statement. Now, let me, let me put a, a note in here for our reason also. These, these things that we're talking about are different than 
I would say, rules that you might keep for yourself. I have rules for myself. You have rules for yourself. But I know that those aren't necessary for salvation. You know what I'm saying? So I don't smoke and drink. Is that a surprise to you? I don't smoke and drink. As a matter of fact, I never have. That's a rule I have. It doesn't mean that if I did either of those things once or twice that I all of a sudden am lost and can't go to heaven. It, when we have standards or rules for ourselves, those are good. We, we keep them. I, I have boycotts my, myself, you know. They're just, when I see a store advertising the way they do or getting involved in moral issues, I say to myself, I'm not going to go to that store. I'm not going to buy things there. Now, once in a while... Yep, that's the only place I can get it, you know. Or let me give you this illustration. My sister and I were in Edinburgh, Scotland. This is a few years ago when we used to do those study trips. And we're doing some reconnoitering, looking for things. And in, uh, uh, in Edinburgh, you, you can go up to the castle, which is on the top of the mountain, and they have, they have what they call the Royal Mile. It's a road that goes all the way up to the castle. Now, the road is... Is city. I mean, they have stores and shops all along the road on both sides, all the way up. Well, Edinburgh can get cold, and this day we weren't prepared for it, but it got cold, and it was blowing, and it was dripping, you know, rain all over, and we were freezing. We weren't quite dressed for it, so we're going up the Royal Mile to get to the top of the castle, and we're just freezing. And we're kind of looking for a place to get warm or something, you know, warm to drink. And guess what? We went by Starbucks. Now, I have, I have, number one, they have terrible coffee. But number two, I don't like their politics. And so I just say to myself, I'm not going to drink their coffee. I'm not going to buy other things. I'm freezing to death, and we go buy Starbucks. And I look in there, and the people are nice and warm. And the door opens, and that smell of that coffee comes out of there. And you know what I did? I bought a cup of Starbucks coffee. <laughs> now, did I lose my salvation? Maybe, but I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I didn't. You know what I'm saying? We have things that we all say, I, I just I don't want to do those. I don't do those. I don't think I should do those. But it's not a matter of salvation to us. But here, when Paul's talking about if you make it a matter of salvation, then Christ is not going to profit you at all. And so there's a difference in those things. I'm just illustrating, all right? Now you know where to buy me coffee and not, all right? <laughs> but we come to verse 4, which is actually controversial, if you will, at least difficult. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. What does that mean? Well, let's work up to it. The word estranged means to, the King James has it there, by the way, the older version. Christ has become of no effect. It's not, he's not helping you at all. You've been cut off from him. Katagaro uh, means to cut off, to bring something to an end. This word, katageo, uh, I should say, was used in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, the miraculous gifts are done. Even the sign gifts, speaking in tongues and, and uh, those things, but inspiration, prophecy, 
uh, those kinds of gifts, he, the gifts of healing and those kinds of things, they're done. When the New Testament is complete, those things won't be operating anymore. And in two verses, he, he uses this same word, katageo, to four times, and, we, and the version has it translated four different ways. These things have failed. These things have vanished away. These things have been done away with. These things have been put away. But it's the same Greek word each time. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying basically, if you decide that you need to be justified by the works of the law, Christ has been set aside. He's been done away with as far as you're concerned. Or we might say, you've set him on a shelf over here and you don't need him right now. Because you're going to do it. Because you're going to work for it. So for all of the, those of you who decide to do it this way, and notice, secondly, the qualifier that comes very quickly here in verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ who attempt to be justified by the law. Justified. I'm going to be saved this way. So he's directing this primarily to lost people. You who decide, no, the way to get saved, the way to be justified is to keep the law. You've just put Christ over here on the shelf. You don't need him right now. You don't need him anymore. Again, uh, Robert Gromack, if I, if I can quote him, said this, the meritorious value of Christ or excuse me, of Christ's person and redemptive work has been rendered inoperative, that is, estranged, within the life of a person who is trying to work his way to heaven. The person thus is not in Christ, nor is Christ in him. If that's the way you think you're getting to heaven, Christ has been estranged from you, has been cut off from you. You've set him on the shelf. Remember chapter 2, verse 16, the proposition of this whole book? Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, the apostles, have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So how many times that word justified is used in that verse? And here it is again, chapter four or chapter five and verse four. If you try to be justified that way, you are fallen from grace. This is a critical issue. Now, fallen from grace. Well, again, primarily he's talking to those lost people. May have been Jewish people, may have even been Gentile people who are persuaded to do it that way. But those of you who are attempted to do it this way, notice the you there, you who attempt to be justified, you have fallen from grace. So the primary application is to lost people. So a lost person must keep the law to be saved. Maybe you want to try to keep the whole law. Maybe you just take, you know, from Mount Sinai all the way to uh, to wherever you think it stopped, and maybe you don't think it stopped. Maybe you want to do circumcision. Maybe you want to keep Sabbath days. Or maybe you're a Gentile who just wants to say, I have to be baptized too in order to be saved. Not only saved, I got to be baptized. Maybe I have to speak in tongues or do some other spiritual gift in order to prove that I'm saved. Or maybe I have to join a certain cult 
and I have to be a member of them in order to be saved. Whatever it is, if that's the way you're going to be justified, you're doing it to be saved. Now, I thought to myself, can this expression at the end of verse 4 apply to Christians also being fallen from grace? I've had that question asked of me by someone who was trying to keep the law. He said, do you think that I'm fallen from grace? So I've always thought about how to, how to answer that. And I would answer it this way. There is a way in which it would apply to you, but not in justification, but rather in sanctification. Or it might be partly justified. In other words, the lost person says, I have to keep the law to be saved. But a Christian might say, I have to keep the law to stay saved. Usually what we call Arminianism would include both, but it's possible for a Christian to say, I'm saved, but if, but if I do this or if I do that, I'm not going to be saved anymore. I'll lose my salvation. We have a lot of belief like that, right, in Christian circles, of course. Excuse me, there are a lot of denominations like that. So I have to do this or I'll lose my salvation. In that sense, I think this expression would apply to you. In that case, you're fallen from grace in the sense that you're not living by grace anymore. You've fallen away from it, and, and you're wrong about that. So whether you're keeping the law to be saved or keeping the law to stay saved, then you're just living in doubt, fear, fallen away from what it, the, the assurance that you have of being justified by Christ alone. Again, if I can quote MacArthur one time because he, he applied it to both in this way, and I thought it was good. He said, for a believer to start living under the law for salvation is not to raise one's spiritual level, but to severely lower it. Then he said, sanctifying grace is interruptible. Oh, I started out by grace, but now I think I want to live partly by law. You've interrupted it. Not that you've lost it, but your sanctifying grace got interrupted. Then he said this, For the unbeliever, being exposed to the truth of the gospel and then turning one's back on Christ is to be an apostate. I'm not saved, and I'm not going to get saved that way. And so which would it be? You can be fallen from grace, I think, either way. Now, I have a couple minutes left, so I had a, I, I want to add this then, a second note on this fallen from grace. Again, we're not talking about what standards you may have or rules you may have in your life. I'm not against them. I have rules in my life. I hope you do, I hope you do too. But because this gets mixed up a lot, I've, I'm emphasizing it a second time here. You may believe something is right or wrong to do as a Christian. Then you ought to do what you think is right about that, right? And in that case, it's simply a matter of agreement or disagreement. For example, Romans 14.5 says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You don't want to work on Sunday? Don't work on Sunday. But if you need to work on Sunday, okay. I, by the way, personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work on Sunday if, unless I absolutely had to. You need to be in God's house. 
or Romans 14, 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers it unclean, to him it is unclean. Uh, you know, you may say, I don't, I don't want to eat snails. I just think, you know, I think they're unclean. I don't want to eat them. Well, then don't eat them. And I won't eat okra. And you and I will, then we'll be the same. But if you want to eat okra and snails, eat them both. I, I don't care. So, but folks, legalism is a misused word in our day. That involves salvation. That is, do I have to do this to get saved or do I have to do this to stay saved? Once you enter salvation into these good works, it becomes legal. You're doing something that is lawful that you have to do to be saved or to stay saved. There's a difference between that and what how we practice various things in our Christian life. So let me just end again by saying, we started out in this, ver in this passage by standing. We ended up by falling. Be sure you stand in the liberty and the freedom that Christ gave you to know that you're saved and to be saved by his grace and, and to stay saved by his grace. Firm in grace alone and faith alone. And don't fall away from that grace, whether you're not saved and you're trying to decide how to be saved or whether you are a Christian and someone has told you you could lose your salvation if you do such and such thing. Don't fall into that trap. It's not true. Come to faith or come to Christ by faith and live with Christ by faith. All right. Stand with me, if you will. Very interesting passage, and I think very applicable to our day and no doubt to Paul's day too. Let's pray, and we're going to sing a song together. Father, thank you for this passage that uh, speaks to us about the most crucial thing there is, and that's salvation by grace, by faith alone. And so, Father, I pray you would give us understanding and clarity to speak of these things and to live by these things and help us, Father, to understand your word and, and to say, here I stand, I can do no other in our lives. Now, Father, maybe someone hearing this message today understands that they're not saved, that they've been trying to decide what to do, and they're looking at Christ alone by the work that he's done for them. And if that's the case, Father, that they may accept him by faith today those that are afraid that somehow having eternal life, they could lose it. Father, clear that up in their mind and help them not to fall away from a life of grace in that way either, but to have assurance that they belong to you. And so, Father, whatever our need is, I pray that you would do that in our hearts today and in the hearts of people who listen to your word today. And bless it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing our invitations open as we sing, and after we're, uh, the service is closed and others are leaving, so you respond. See me uh, at either time if you need to uh, and get this thing cleared up, uh, that uh, confusion that you may have in God's word. Gordon will come and lead us.